This is episode 127 of the Dear Discreet Guide Trouble at Work podcast. This episode is titled Freedom of Speech in the Workplace. This episode is part of our ongoing near daily series during the pandemic. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Dear Discreet Guide Trouble at Work, where we talk about work, working, and how to make work better. If it's work-related, we're on it. Who knew talking about work would be this much fun? I'm Jennifer Crittenden, a former CFO and host of the show, and thank you for joining our quest to improve our workplaces. Let's do this. I'm really excited to welcome my new guest to the show today. Christopher Olmsted is with us. And I actually found out about Chris through an article in The Economist about free speech and employees. And I find this topic really interesting, and I know that it's uh, complicated. So I'm glad he's with us today to answer all our questions. And then when I looked him up, it dis- I discovered that he's actually in San Diego. So that was a strange coincidence. So we're not in the studio together Um, but we at least share the same, uh, close to the same zip code. So welcome to the show, Chris. Hey, Jennifer. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm glad to talk to you a little bit today and and cover this interesting topic. Yeah, good. So I'll give the listeners a little bit of background about you. Uh, You've been, I mean, the list of credentials that Chris has is as long as my arm, but a couple of interesting things. He's got 25 years of litigation experience, and mostly he works on the side of advising employers about compliance matters. He's got a JD from Loyola Law School, which is really coincidental because this morning I interviewed a woman who also has a JD from Loyola Law School, so it's Loyola Day today. And then he has a bachelor's from the University of California at Berkeley. Uh, He also has a long history with another organization here. Uh, he's a member of Ogletree Deacons California Advice Group, which is a network of California attorneys who lend experience to clients of Ogletree Deacons attorneys in their offices across the nation. And he's also a teacher, teaches at Cal State San Marcos, and has a course for legal issues for HR professionals, which we know in California can be uh, quite the hot mess. So can you start us off, Chris, here with some broad strokes about free speech at work? Do employees have any rights and what have the courts been deciding about that? Yeah, speaking, employees do have some rights with respect to certain types of speech in the workplace, but it's not as broad as what a lot of people learn about free speech issues under the Constitution, the First Amendment. Mm -hmm. When we're talking about free speech in the constitutional context, we're primarily referring to the right that individuals have or the protections that they have against government impairment of their free speech. And of course, that right is extraordinarily broad, not without limits, but very broad under the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. And then the 14th Amendment extends that right or that protection to the states as well. So employees, uh, well, people in general, let's say, have free speech rights with respect to the federal and state 
governments. Okay. And then many states also have their own state constitutions. California is among them. And many of those constitutions, the state constitutions also protect free speech. But again, the point being that that's protection against government control of speech, not individuals, private individuals or private companies interference with speech rights. Yeah, I think that's kind of what surprised me in the Economist article. Um, in fact, they uh, at one point they said, "quote But most in, most Americans enjoy no protection of their political beliefs at work." And I was like, "Whoa!" So that's when I realized that I certainly had a misconception. So I'm glad you're clarifying this for us. And does it matter who your employer is? Yeah. So if if your employer is a federal agency or a state agency or some government agency, then there might be constitutional free speech issues in play. Mm. But if you don't work for the government, then when we're speaking in terms of the right to say things, either inside or outside the workplace, we can't speak in terms of constitutional rights. We have to look to other other laws, other regulations, aside from the Constitution. And it's much narrower than the broad rights that people have regarding free speech. In that regard, it really is going to depend a lot on where the employee is. There's obviously 50 different states, and many of them have different iterations and different rights throughout the country. And so you can't necessarily just say one size fits all. You have to look at each of the individual states. You know, we could mostly talk about California today, but um, for those listening in other states, they would need to know specifically what the laws are in those states as well. The Economist article gave a couple of examples that, again, surprised me. I just think I, I, I just didn't really understand how this worked. So there was a woman who was fired for having a John Kerry bumper sticker on her car, which she had parked in the parking lot at work. And then someone else was fired from his father Christmas job uh, when photos emerged of him wearing a Donald Trump hat. What do you think about those cases? I believe both of those were outside of California. Yeah, they were. I, I think you gave me a heads up on those two cases and, and I was able to find a little bit of information about them. Um, and one in the Kerry bumper sticker case. That one happened ages ago. <laughs> we don't hear much about Carrie these days. Yeah, no, right. I almost have to remember who is that guy. <laughs> but apparently this was in Alabama as best I could tell. And uh, the employee had a Carrie sticker on her rear windshield. And when her boss got word of it, he laid down the ultimatum. You either get rid of that sticker or I'm getting rid of you. Mm, so a little bit of a twist there. Yeah, she ended up getting fired for refusing. So she was really a Carrie fan. Yeah, well, apparently, I, I think <laughs> in, in the little blurb that I found on it, she went went on to get hired by the Carrie campaign. I guess. Oh wow! <laughs> Interesting. But um, that's in Alabama. I think we can talk about California law in a little bit, but and maybe this wouldn't go the same way in California. Mm. Um, but in Alabama, like I said, each state has its own law. Apparently, there wasn't any legal protection for someone taking a political position that the employer didn't like. Mm. Um, so we can't say that that's, that's the case across the country. But in that 
in that particular case from quite a while back again, um, 2004 maybe, the employee wasn't able to keep her job. Then I, I also think I found the reference to the Santa Claus, the mall Santa Claus, who um, had a picture taken of him in the mall in his suit instead of donning the Santa traditional Santa cap he was that was issued by the mall he was wearing a MAGA Trump hat oh so again that's kind of a different twist he said it was a joke and he said I just put it on real quickly at the end of my shift and then I posted it to my social media page I didn't mean to make Santa political, you know, a Trump supporter. But, you know, he, he pointed out he and his friends are supporters of the president and it was just all in fun. Well, the mall didn't take kindly to that. And mostly I think it was because people, members of the public saw that social media posting and were complaining that they didn't like, you know, the appearance of Santa wearing a hat supporting a particular politician. So the mall terminated him. But, you know, I agree with, I think, what you're getting at, which is there, there's a little bit of a difference between the two situations, right? The the Carrie supporter, all she did is drive her car into the parking lot with a sticker on the rear you know, window. Mm-hmm. There was no indication in, in the article I read that she took that point of view into work or confronted people about her political views, um, aside from the expression associated with that sticker in her window. In the mall Santa case, in that situation, he was on the job at the time. Right. And he's wearing basically his uniform. Yeah. From right. a layperson's perspective, they feel a little different. Yeah. So in that case, I, I can see how the employer might say, hey, you know, kids are coming to see Santa. They're not coming to see some guy making a political statement. If you want to make political statements, do it on your own time, but not while you're sitting on Santa's throne in the mall with kids on <laughs> it is a funny image. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, so I think, you know, when we're talking about political speech in particular, there are different protections in different jurisdictions in, you know, in California included with respect to those that are exercising certain political rights. And that doesn't necessarily mean political speech in the workplace. But generally speaking, for example, someone can campaign to run for a public office, as long as that's not interfering with their job responsibilities. They have that right, or they have the right to participate in a political campaign, you know, go knock on doors or go attend a political rally or whatever people are doing these days to support their candidates. And off the job, that may not be a problem. And in California, for example, there's a few labor code sections that give employees the right to engage in that sort of conduct. I see. So that is so in California, at least, it's they are specifically permitted to engage in political activities as long as it's off the clock, so to speak. Right, and, and I think that's an important distinction. If uh, if the person's on the job, then I think the employer will have a lot more control over what the person does. They're paying them after all to do certain things. And those things might not include campaigning, for example, Mm -hmm. um, or even talking about politics, which, um, you know, an employer might have a 
just an interest in keeping the peace in the workplace, generally. Right. <laughs> I, I think we all agree that uh, politics can be a controversial topic. It's always has been, but these days even more so. People seem to have divergent views on things. And so just the mention of a particular candidate can send, depending on who's, who's name is invoked to consent people into a tizzy. Sure. And instead of getting work done, um, people are distracted. Mm-hmm. And they might even feel uh, bullied or victimized. I suppose in extreme cases, I think this is relatively rare, but people can start getting pretty aggressive and maybe even sometimes violent. I don't have any particular examples of that, but passion certainly can rise when someone's talking about their political candidate or some political issue. Yeah, you bet. So employers might have a, you know, a very strong interest in just, like I said, keeping the peace, not necessarily picking sides. You know, It's okay to talk about uh, Joe Biden, but it's not okay to talk about Donald Trump in putting it in the context of today's mm-hmm. political campaigns. Um, but more, more often than not, employers are interested in just keeping employees focused on their job and keeping them productive and efficient and um, avoiding outside distractions. I think this is a general rule to stick, stick to work-related topics, mm-hmm. not even be specifically limited to politics. Just say, keep, keep things you know, work-related in company emails or chat groups or you know, other discussions that happen while you're on the clock at work. Is there any other speech that's protected at work? Like, I was thinking about attempts to unionize. Like, if people start talking at work about creating a union, can the employer come back and say, uh, you're not allowed to talk about that at work because that wouldn't keep the peace, so you're fired? Well, that's one of the areas where employees do have protections in, in the workplace. They have the right under the federal National Labor Relations Act Hmm. to engage in, I guess you could generally call it unionizing activity. Okay. So they have the right to talk about their rights, their labor rights. They have the right to talk about unionizing or collective bargaining. They have um, the right to generally engage in what the law refers to as concerted activity which is just a fancy way of saying we're talking about our working conditions or our wages mm. as a group. And we want, uh, we want things to be better. And so the national labor relation uh, act has certain protections that allow employees to engage in that sort of activity. Okay, this is really fascinating to me because I think it's just so different from the impression that people have about what is protected and what is not protected. So what if you just want to complain about something in the workplace? Is that protected? It depends on what you're complaining about. If you just want to complain that, you know, you don't like the color of the carpet or (laughs) the decorations on the wall or whatever it is that people just complain about sort of on a mundane level, then food and the vending machines. Right. Put better snacks in the vending machines. Right. <laughs> but, it, but when we're talking about the NLRB or other labor rights, that's something different. We're, if, we're, if we're talking about we ought to get paid more or we ought to be, you know, we ought to get the union in here and get organized to have an election or we don't like the working conditions. They're unsafe or you know, unfair or otherwise inappropriate. Then that's where some of these labor laws come into play. 
Fascinating. Okay, so I'm going to flip the tables here. What if you want to complain about the fact that you report to a woman or uh, they, that, they're, that the company is hiring a whole bunch of African-Americans and you don't like that? How, how does that play out? Well, that could potentially be a problem under state and federal EEO laws, anti-discrimination and anti-harassment laws. Okay. Right. Because obviously in today's times, that's problematic for someone to single someone out and complain about them based on their protected characteristic, be it gender or race or disability or religion or everything else on the, on the list of protected categories. So um, I would say those sorts of expressions could end up causing problems for employees. And if employers don't respond to what appears to be discriminatory or harassing conduct, they, the, the company, the employers can be held accountable for failing to enforce their own internal policies as well as uh, follow the law. So generally comments that are discriminatory or harassing in nature in that regard, you know, an employer I think is not only has the prerogative, but obligation mm-hmm. to intervene and, and stop that sort of discussion from happening. Yeah, I think that I think it's a really important distinction that we can't be complacent about that kind of talk. And it's not a matter of free speech. It's that that kind of talk, if I'm understanding you correctly, is actually illegal. Yeah. And the example you gave that the person's saying they don't want to work for a woman, I think that's highly problematic. Mm. It, you know, if it's, I don't want to work for Jane, who happens to be a woman, but I have a, you know, personality conflict with that person, mm-hmm. their gender, but just because of their personality, that's an entirely different issue. You're not singling someone out necessarily because of their gender, but because of other issues. And that's, that wouldn't be blatantly illegal in that context. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's talk about social media, because this is where it seems like we really get into the weeds. It just gets a lot more complicated. And so employers do get concerned when their employees start posting things on social media, even if the employees are just posting their personal opinions. And how have you watched this whole issue evolve and kind of where are we at now? There's not a lot of legal analysis or scrutiny of social media postings so far, which is surprising because it has been around for a number of years, not as long as other forms of communication, of course, but there's not a lot out there. I think generally speaking, if you can't, if you shouldn't be or can't be saying it in person, saying it on social media is also not okay. For example, let's go back to what you were just talking about. Someone is expressing themselves in a way that that's discriminatory or harassing of another employee. The fact that they posted it on social media platform doesn't give them any prerogative or right to do so. Okay. The same as if they said it or done it in person. You know, so employers very commonly these days have social media policies in their employee handbooks. It's something that I endorse and encourage that employers do to set expectations clearly with respect to employees and social media. And most of those policies focus on prohibiting the abuse or misuse of social media, just the same way as you know, any other means of communication. So again, prohibiting bullying or harassing or discrimination in social media. Uh, most policies don't 
go so far as to try and control you know, otherwise what employees are posting on their own personal social media accounts. Most employers will ask employees to refrain from posting something that they purport to be a statement or a point of view of the company itself. Right. And that, you know, that it, if they're posting something, it should be clear that it's their own personal opinion or perspective and not that of the company. Um, for the most part, companies, I think, are largely not concerned with what their employees are posting on social media as long as it's not, as long as it's not disparaging directly the company itself. That's usually where I see the conflict arises. Someone on their free time goes home and starts berating their own employer. And depending on what the topic is, that's that can get the attention of the company fairly quickly. They're concerned about their relationship with their customers and vendors and others that they interact in the public. And if uh, cruel comments are made about the company by their own employees, that that could be problematic for the company. So that's that's mostly where I see issues arising is that there's some disparaging remark directed at the company. I don't often encounter employers contacting me and, and having a concern about some unrelated to the business that is unrelated comment that some employee has posted that whatever the owner or manager of the company has some personal point of view that's different than that, you know, you know, pick any current event issue, you know, that for the most part, employers aren't concerned about that. It's just when it, when the comments are reflecting poorly on the company itself, then there's usually a heightened scrutiny of that sort of posting. Yeah, that certainly seems like a bright line. You know, that, that, yeah, that really feels like now you've crossed, crossed a line. I see a lot of people sometimes put on their Twitter profile opinions, my own or something like that. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's appropriate. And, and if, especially if you, I, I, I think the, if someone's a high profile representative of the company, then like, let's say a CEO of a publicly traded company, then I think they often are viewed as one and the same as the company itself. Mm -hmm. And there often could be a concern by the board of directors or investors or other people. We certainly heard stories of someone taking, making the, a political contribution or political comment that's a high profile leader of a company. You know, the investors or the board of directors takes issue with that. But for lower level employees, that's probably less of a concern. That even if they've taken an outrageous point of view on some current event, that it doesn't really reflect the, the company's opinion. But I think putting the comment in the uh, posting that this is a personal opinion is appropriate and helpful. It, doesn't, it, doesn't, it won't mislead people to think, well, that person works for ABC company and, and therefore what they're posting is what ABC company also thinks or believes. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about a couple of specific situations. And if you're not familiar with these just uh, or don't want to comment, just tell me to move along. There's a woman who posted some things on Twitter that had to do with her personal opinions about trans people. I think her name is something like Maya Forrester or something like that. Subsequent to that, her contract was not renewed by her employer. And there was some indication that the company didn't approve of her tweets and that other people had objected to those tweets because they felt as though she was 
disparaging trans people. And so they felt threatened by her tweets. Of course, I know these cases are super complicated, but do you have any reactions to that one? Well, I'm not familiar with the specifics in that situation, so it's hard for me to to comment on it. Is is was there something about the company itself, its business that seemed like that was a problem with, or was it just maybe the personal opinions of the manager versus the personal opinions of the employee? Yeah, I think it's the second. Mm-hmm. That was not related. The, she just has some strong opinions about trans people, and there were some complaints by other employees saying we you know we find these tweets objectionable and we think she should be sanctioned and then mm-hmm. her her contract was not renewed so i mean the at that point you know the poor employer in a way they're stuck between a rock and a hard place but it the case has gotten a lot of visibility this actually took place in the uk okay well so i think this this might in some way resemble a situation where someone is making disparaging remarks against someone based on their um, on their sexual orientation. Mm-hmm. And I guess if we could imagine that there are people working for the company who are transgender or you know, have feelings or issues related to transgender status, maybe they have friends or families or relatives in that category, then there could be a perception that this person is engaging in harassment or discrimination. Mm-hmm. Really hard to say. I mean, based on what you're telling me, I'm, I guess I can't comment on that particular case, but you know, certainly a, a company would be concerned that any one of its employees is making disparaging remarks about someone's sexual orientation. But some of the things you told me lead me to believe that maybe it wasn't directed at or to someone, but maybe it was just no. a general expression about transgender people. Mm-hmm. You know, so maybe that's not quite the same as singling someone out in the workplace and making disparaging comments. But I can see how a company might be concerned that it's got maybe a public image that it's got employees who espouse these views. And certainly there's a fair, fairly large group of people who would find those sorts of views offensive. Mm-hmm. And maybe they consider they're better off without someone who has controversial views about transgender status. Mm-hmm. Maybe it doesn't matter whether it's um, one way or the other. Maybe it's just the point that the person's creating undue controversy related to the company. And so they just would rather not have or invite that level of controversy. You know, so it's, it's sort of a gray area, you know, is whether there's be legal protection uh, for the workers who are offended or the employee who is expressing their own point of view on on the whole issue, whether there'd be any legally protectable rights in the UK or anywhere else regarding those opinions. Mm -hmm. So a couple more spring to mind. Uh, One of them was a business professor at my alma mater, actually at Indiana University. It was discovered that he had been putting up a lot of blog posts that people found objectionable. I think they were somewhat racist in nature. And the dean of the business school came out after this had, you know, reached the the public eye through the media. And she issued a statement saying, no matter how objectionable and offensive his comments are, this professor is still entitled to his free speech and we won't be sanctioning him. And she had a really great quote in there, too, something about 
something like sometimes free speech is a bitter pill to swallow or something like that. Do you have any thoughts about that? Well, just generally and philosophically, that that comment makes sense to me. I think sometimes we forget in our country that part of what we built, one of the foundations of our republic is free speech from the government standpoint again. Mm-hmm. And that um, we were sort of built on diverse views and politics and religious beliefs. And there, sh- there should be room, I think, in today's society for different points of view. Now, not having seen this, this individual's comments, I just take your word for it that it's racist. And certainly, let me be clear, I'm not uh, condoning people being racist. Yeah, no, I don't think any any of us are in this conversation. Sure. But it but it's but, great. It's tough. Right. But but you know that said, having a point of view that's different than someone else's, I've I've certainly encountered situations where someone's someone who disagrees with another person's comment accuses them of being racist or sexist or what have you mm-hmm. when that really wasn't the person's motive or intent. They were just expressing a view, a, a point of view on something. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's what was happening in in this case in Indiana is that maybe this person wasn't necessarily being racist, but was being accused of that. I also wonder too if this is a was this a public university? Mm-hmm. Yeah, state. Right. So uh, without getting into the rights of whatever tenured professors to express views and all that, we're, right? We're, someone who's a, a a public servant. And there could be some enhanced rights associated with being a public employee versus working for a private employer. I don't know if that's the context here or not, but yeah, that's what I wondered. Yeah, if he had additional rights, I, I was curious if you thought he might have additional rights. Maybe, but uh, I, you know, I, I would just observe that thinking of, of all of my clients, I think none of them would tolerate an employee doing or saying something that is clearly racist or discriminatory. I think in those sorts of situations, employers are very ready to act decisively in eliminating people from the workplace who are going to behave in in such a way because it's so highly offensive and obviously also potentially a a violation of other employees' legal rights. Yeah, which makes sense. I think you're drawing some really important distinctions. And yeah, sorry to keep throwing these cases on you. So another one is the infamous Google employee who he wrote a document in which he explained his possible explanation for why women don't become engineers and why we don't have a lot of women in the tech world and how that might not be discrimination, but just a natural outcome of certain things, society, inclinations, all kinds of stuff like that. I don't know if you remember this case. It did get a lot of attention. So this was here in California. And he worked for Google. And at first, there was kind of just sort of some public outrage about his this guy's opinions. And then eventually Google did act and fired him after, you know, there was a certain amount of public pressure. Mm-hmm. And he sued, as you can imagine. Any thoughts about that case, if you followed that at all in the press? You know, I don't have any particular comment on the Google case itself. I think, um, again, we're kind of back to the general concept of um, you know, employers having a legitimate concern that some you know, members of their workforce may be expressing views that reflect poorly on the company mm-hmm. and having some discretion to 
manage that mm-hmm. as an employer, as a company. Like I said a, a little while back, there's definitely limitations. There's certain protections against discrimination. There's labor relation rights, you know, union organization activity, reporting, whistleblowing type issues to the government, uh, you know, unsafe work conditions reported to OSHA, all the uh, things of that nature where individuals have a right to to speak out and make those issues be known. But beyond that, where someone's expressing opinions or views that the company might consider reflect poorly on it, I think the company has more latitude mm-hmm. to address those issues. So again, without commenting specifically on the on the Google case that you mentioned, um, I think that's getting back into the territory where there might be more discre- discretion that a business might have um, regarding what it's what its employees are saying or doing. Yeah, I think that's the takeaway that I would really like the listeners uh, to get from from this discussion is employers really have a lot of latitude to fire people for saying things that might reflect poorly on the company if it comes out in the public eye. And I think I, for one, probably didn't understand that very well before I started to get a little bit more educated. So I, I think that's I think that's really important for us to recognize that employers have a lot of rights. Mm-hmm. Well, and my observation is that companies aren't generally looking for opportunities to pounce upon their employees for expressing personal opinions. Really, that in my experience, where where employers become activated in that regard is, I think again back to either the person has said something that is perhaps unfair, but disparaging or even defamatory towards the company mm-hmm. company in that in that case it's almost a sort of a loyalty question is the person's hired to do a job yet they're biting the hand that feeds them as you say might, might say mm-hmm. either that or you know maybe they're not the employee's not directing their malicious comments at the company but they're they're acting or behaving in, in such an egregious way that it reflects very poorly on the company Mm-hmm. that this person is associated with the company. So in those two situations, I think the companies that I've encountered are most inclined to want to do something about the situation. And uh, my experience is that they're not so concerned or interested that the person's just behaving like a normal civilized human being and expressing opinions or views that don't damage the company mm-hmm. or exercising legal rights. Well, in that, in that case, the company isn't motivated to to take action against an individual. So for the most part, I think companies would rather just not get involved in employee opinions or views as long as it's not interfering with business operations. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with these background check companies that um, can be hired so that a potential employer uh, can be flagged if there's something dodgy that shows up in somebody's social media posts. So they go through all the public profiles of a, of a candidate, of a potential employee, and then flag anything that seems dodgy. And so, you know, those things are done by software. So they can flag stuff that it, a re- regular person looking at it wouldn't say, well, this is a problem, but they might pick up on something. So again, super gray area. Are you familiar with those? And do you have any thoughts about those? I've heard a few things about the existence of that or um, the availability of of those sorts of services. I think many businesses aren't particularly interested in delving into someone's 
you know, the last 10 years of their Facebook postings. It's just not interesting or relevant enough for anyone to want to do. I suppose it does happen. And I think companies are also aware of individuals' privacy rights. And they want, if they're going to do a, let's say at the hiring phase, they're going to do a a background search on someone. They're going to issue the right documentations, do the right disclosures, and and look for the right kind of information that's job related. Okay. Rather than just peruse someone's background for, you know, whatever political group they're part of or other organization or other personal opinions. And I think um, employers are better served just not necessarily focusing on issues or concerns that are completely unrelated to someone's ability to do their job, their qualifications, how they serve as an employee. But of course, if someone has posted something that's you know, very disruptive, disrespectful, controversial, um, and there's a concern that these sort of issues are going to get injected into the workplace. Let's take, again, the situation where someone is saying we're doing something that's very racist or sexist. And I can understand how a company would be reluctant to hire someone who's got a propensity to spout off on those sorts of issues. I don't have personal knowledge of a lot of businesses that are out there doing these sorts of social media searches on routine hirings. I see. Again, for high profile type positions, maybe there's a higher interest in making sure the person doesn't have any skeletons in their closet, as one might say, mm-hmm. you know, so there might be more scouring involved, but maybe that comes with the territory. If you're going to be a high profile leader in a large business, you need to, um, you know, you need to be vetted before you jump into the position. Yeah. And a reminder to us to be cautious when we get wound up about something and start posting stuff all over Facebook that, you know, that, that can come back and bite you. So, yeah. Well, sure. And, and I, I would expect there's people out there that don't know how to diplomatically express a point of view and mm-hmm. maybe they're highly disrespectful or insulting towards others. And that's a choice. There's, there's certain limits that we all as members of society need to work within. But when people regularly abuse others online, I, I, that's a choice. But Choices have consequences too, mm-hmm. right? And you shouldn't just be able to be a horrible person online and then expect that no one's ever going to take you to task for that. You're basically inviting that sort of thing, in my opinion. And so really, again, that's kind of an important distinction. So yes, you have the right to be as obnoxious as you want online, but also employers have the right to then not hire you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and some, some may care and some may not. And maybe it depends on the position. Mm-hmm without characterizing any particular type of work. I mean, if you're a laborer on a construction site, why would the construction company care about the obnoxious things you said online about some completely unrelated issue? But if you're a, I don't know, you're a spokesperson, you're the <laughs> right. PR person for a major publicly traded corporation and you've said or done horrible things online, then I think that's entirely different. Mm-hmm. If you're the face or the image of the company. In some regards. Yeah, and it does provide insight to your character. I think it could. Okay, let's switch gears here uh, again. And so what about speaking up or speaking out during a pandemic? So some doctors and nurses have been interviewed by the press and have attempted to make public like what the situation is inside their hospital. And 
you know, no surprise, then administrators have pushed back because they want to control the messaging. So what are the issues in play there? Can the employees get fired or sanctioned? And what do you think the courts would say? Well, I suppose it depends on the framework, because if we're dealing with someone, let's say, who's complaining to a government agency about compliance with health standards or OSHA safety protocols or something along those lines, and they're, in a sense, whistleblowing about certain issues, then maybe they have a right to be heard. And and I think uh, any organization should be reluctant to punish someone for exercising rights to speak out about compliance or safety issues. Okay. You know, on the other hand, if the person's disclosing confidential inside information about a business's operations, then that could be a completely different concern. And maybe the company, the medical institution is rightly concerned about the disclosure of, I don't know, patient information or confidential internal operational issues. So in terms of the current pandemic, I think the same framework would apply as if you know professionals are merely speaking out about issues relating to workplace safety or labor rights or regulatory affairs and that sort of thing, then maybe they have more latitude mm. to speak out on those those issues. And you know, these days people are rightly concerned about their own welfare, their own safety, their own health, and um, you know, are expressing opinions or concerns about um, you know, their exposure to the virus, for example. It sounds as though the distinction there might be if a grocery worker talks to some somebody, CNN, somebody, and says, I'm worried about my protection at work. I'm worried that I'm not safe at work. It sounds like that might be protected speech. Do you think so? I hate to be too lawyerly, but I suppose it all depends. I, I, but just <laughs> let's assume they're 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 um, they're talking about you know workplace safety issues. Um, is the company following, let's say, the county health department's orders on social distancing and hygienic practices in the workplace? And I'm worried that maybe they're not. Then, mm-hmm. to me, it sounds like that could be something someone could voice without concern of. Um, you know, any kind of workplace retaliation. Generally, I wouldn't expect a company to terminate someone for merely expressing the thought that, you know, the workplace isn't, isn't safe. But on the other hand, let's take another extreme example. Let's say the person lies. They may completely make up a situation. Oh, I saw, you know, company, the, the grocery store, you know, even though uh, face covering should be worn, they were actively discouraging customers from wearing them and and they weren't doing social distancing. In fact, they were crowding people together and they were selling contaminated food and it's all lies, 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 right? And now the individual's defaming the store and probably going to cause a huge loss in business all because they decided for whatever reason to start making up stories. Mm-hmm. Well, in that extreme situation, I, I wouldn't think that the worker would have protections to go make those sorts of comments. Yeah. And as I say, I think it's an interesting distinction. So for example, if a nurse came out to CNN and said, oh, this hospital is terrible. You know, we don't have the right equipment and the whole supply chain has been super screwed up. Even if that was true, 
that's not the same as saying, I don't feel safe at work. That, it sounds to me like that, in fact, would be certainly reflecting very poorly on the hospital. And so the courts might take a different view of that. I don't know. What do you think? Possibly. Yeah. Again, these things tend to be so fact intensive in, mm. in the courts, in the legal settings, that it's hard to make some general comment. I'm reluctant to do so. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of institutions out there. Some of them our law firm represents and would like to think that they do their very best to very carefully heed the, you know, the legal concerns and protect the rights of workers and all that. So to generalize about how um, a court might view something sort of in, in the blind, it's hard to say. But I mean, the point being, bottom line is if the employee is exercising a legally protected right, such as expressing concerns about workplace safety or complaining about violations of the law, um, that's different than just sort of the someone out of ill will making up stories and disparaging or defaming a, an organization using facts that are clearly false. You know, so somewhere in between is it's probably the gray area where is the person expressing opinion? Are they exercising their legal rights or what are they doing? And that's where um, it's hard to you know, generalize whether any given comment is protected by the law or whether the employee should refrain from making the comment. Yeah. And I guess my point also is, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, it may sound counterintuitive, but just because we're in the middle of a pandemic, the laws don't change. Would you agree? Generally, that's true. The laws are changing in some respect. We see, for example, governors changing some of the legal standards. Governor Newsom in California has issued a number of executive orders that have modified California law, sometimes on an emergency basis. Mm. Some legislatures are changing the law as we go through this process in different jurisdictions. Counties and local organizations are, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, government agencies are issuing new regulations and so forth. But yeah, generally those those broad protections that existed before the pandemic still, still exist and both employers and employees need to heed them. And then uh, lastly, so one of the comments about the, in the Economist article was, you know, this, these free speech issues and protected speech issues and employers' rights and so forth are really going to come to a head in America this year because it's an election year. And in our highly partisan climate, what advice do you have for us, for employees and for employers? Yeah, so for generally, I think what employers are interested in is just keeping arguments, political controversies out of the workplace. And so I think companies ought to be thoughtful about having an even-keeled policy that doesn't favor or disfavor any sort of political views, but just basically sets forth expectations about focusing on work, work is for work, not for politicking. Okay. And um, that'll keep people focused and efficient. And when they go home, they can do whatever they want with respect to their political beliefs, put it, stick a carry bumper sticker on their car or wear a Trump hat or whatever, you know, whatever you're talking about today during, during the session. Um, I think that's the most, that I think that's, first and foremost for employers is to give it some thought. Don't just sort of approach it on an ad hoc basis, but mm-hmm. let your employees know what the expectations are and then hold them to those expectations. Mm-hmm. And then for employees, I guess the best I can say is be respectful, be thoughtful. It's, you, can, you can have opinions. You 
have the right to vote, you have the right to engage in politics, but during working hours, you know, try to get along with your coworkers, try not to, um, to, to say or do things that are going to upset them. Uh, be respectful, that's the bottom line. If we could just have a little bit more of that in the workplace, I think a lot of um, controversies would disappear. Yeah, and I, I really hope that that kind of advice is our first go-to instead of uh, turning to litigation, because uh, I always appreciate it when lawyers want to talk to us about being reasonable instead of um, always going straight to, a, to legal action. Sure. Thank you very much, Chris, for coming on the show. And before I let you go, is there anything you'd like to share with the listeners, like your website or where they can follow your work? Sure. So as you mentioned at the start of this uh, talk, my law firm is Ogletree Deacons, and we have a website with a lot of resources. I would really encourage people to go there and, and look at the blogs and the seminars that we posted, a lot of employer information, helping them get through the current pandemic, but a lot more than that, just more generally, just a lot of information for employers. Our uh, website is ogletree.com. That's O-G-L-E-T-R-E-E.com. And if you get there, you can find information about me and you can find information about all the educational materials that we've posted. So I hope that helps people. Yeah, good. Well, thank you again. Thanks for the work that you do. Well, thank you for having me today. It was a pleasure talking to you about these issues. That's it, everybody. You've made it through another episode of Dear Discreet Guide, Trouble at Work. During the pandemic, we'll be changing our format in honor of those who are quarantined or working on the front lines. We'll put out shorter shows on a daily or near daily basis early in the morning to start your day on a positive and interesting note. We'll be considering work-related issues relevant while COVID-19 is impacting the world. If you have a question or a comment or a message for our listeners, please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us through the website, discreetguide.com, D-I-S-C-R-E-E-T-E, where you can also find other resources about working better together. Thank you for joining my quest to improve our workplaces, our work lives, and our lives in general. And thanks for listening. We look forward to returning to our old format when the world has returned to a more normal state. In the meantime, please hang in there, stay safe, and know that I care about you.